the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Jenna Ellis Show, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust to give you good and patient counsel for investing in your retirement. The Biden administration has caused a financial crisis and they have no clue how to fix it. Oil prices have skyrocketed and when oil prices go up, not only do your expenses go up, but the cost of transportation and shipping spikes, leading the prices of goods to rise. And when and we are already seeing record inflation. That's the last thing that we need. Our economy is in trouble, and you need to take steps to protect yourself. If all your money is tied up in stocks, bonds, and traditional markets, you may be vulnerable. So gold is one of the very best ways to protect your retirement. No matter what happens, you own your own gold. It's real, it's physical, and it's always been valuable since the dawn of time. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-528-1903 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com where you can download the free investor's guide. You can also go to my Facebook page, Jenna Ellis. I am a public figure on Facebook and I just posted yesterday a really great interview with the president of Legacy Precious Metals who is discussing why you need to start your retirement account even if you're in your 20s or 30s. There is always a great time to protect your retirement and invest just like you want to protect your health over the long term. So go to Legacy Precious Metals at LegacyPMInvestments.com or call 866-528-1903. All right. Well, joining me now is uh, one of my very good friends and actually uh, has been a pastor to me and my family personally for quite a few years. Uh, my very good friend, all of the Calvary Chapel kids know who I'm talking about, uh, Pastor Gino Geraci, who is the head pastor and senior pastor of Calvary Chapel South Denver um, for quite a few years and uh, now comes up to Longmont to yeah. uh, Longmont Candlelight Fellowship, uh, where my family attends. And uh, we love this church. We love you, Pastor Gino. And when Thank I was you. thinking, I'm mean, actually talking to my parents about this topic, um, who could I get to come on? We, of course, um, immediately said, well, Gino has been studying the Bible for um, probably longer than I've been alive. So <laughs> I'm grateful to have you on. Well, thank you, Jenna. Yeah. So um, so as we are contemplating end times, um, mm -hmm. there have been so many things that people have mm -hmm. talked about, that they've looked at, and they're saying, are these the signs of birth pangs or is these the signs of the one world government? How are we supposed to interpret all of what's going on in the last two years? Well, I think we begin by 
be, by beginning where the Bible begins and, and asking and answering the important question, um, what are the last days or what are the end times? And as you can imagine, um, there's a growing group of people that don't even believe that there is such a thing. But the way that I would begin the conversation is I would I would remind everybody that, of course, we're living in the last days, that the last days begin right after the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But then you fast forward and you ask and answer the question, what is, what's happened in our world? And so, Jenna, the way I think about it is that there, according to the Bible, there are signs in nature, signs in society, spiritual signs, uh, even world political circumstances, um, but also Israel as this sign. So if we fast forward and we ask, you know, how are we to think about this? And we look at what Paul says and we look at what Peter says, they both affirm that there is such a thing as the last days. Because we as Christians believe that histories come from somewhere, that that the world and, and everyone in it and the, and the events that are unfolding have meaning, purpose, and direction, and that this direction is going to ultimately end in a, in a consummation where Jesus returns. And as you can imagine, Jenna, that concept of a returning Jesus is not only unbelievable and fantastic to the world, um, to, to the larger world, when we as Christians even talk about it, it gives them the chills. Yes, absolutely. And putting this in an in a greater context for people who maybe aren't as familiar with eschatology and the study mm-hmm. of end times in scripture. Um, can you go through kind of the, the, um, the big philosophies and different interpretations of, uh, some people who would say, well, the, the rapture as a literal historical event, um, right. is going to happen versus people who maybe would say, otherwise, and how we can um, understand that context as a threshold question as well. Well, I think that the to, to, to go to that question, we begin with the big idea. Is Jesus going to literally, physically, and in reality return? Just like it says in the book of Acts, where Jesus has risen from the dead, he's ascending into heaven, and the angel says, why do you stand there looking at the sky? This same Jesus who you see ascending into heaven will in like manner return. And so every person who embraces historical biblical Christianity believes in a literal, physical return of Jesus. So the big question becomes, is there a period, a time of what the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation refers to as a time of tribulation? There's, there's several different ways uh, that people have interpreted all of this. One is called historical premillennialism. Another is called dispensational premillennialism. But then there's amillennialism and postmillennialism. What, what most of the views of the idea of the return of Jesus is most Christians believe or have believed historically that the second coming of Jesus and the rapture are the same event. That view shifted, I think, but also I think that the Bible supports the view that, that there is a, a period of time when the church itself and, and believers leave the earth prior to this second coming. So the big question that people, that Christians debate and, and don't necessarily agree on is, is there a time um, 
between a rapture of a church and the second coming of Jesus. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, in um, in in in, a, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this subject, but he says, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord Jesus will not precede those, but that there's going to be a generation that's caught up, hence the word rapture. The, and, and so the idea is that there is a there's a there's a terminal generation. There's a final generation of believers who are going to be removed from a world that seems destined for judgment. Now, again, people disagree about whether or not the rapture and the second coming are the same event. My own view is that the rapture and the second coming are separate events. And by the way, we've got articles posted on this, Jenna, at gotquestions.org. I don't know if you know this, but I've joined um, the board of gotquestions.org. It's the largest Bible answer ministry in the world. And there they can go and they can get specific answers as we talk. That is amazing. And uh, all of the Bible questions that uh, people have asked you over the years on your radio program, at your church, and, you know, in the context of counseling, there is uh, probably no better source uh, than you to join that board. And that's uh, really exciting. And one of the things, uh, Pastor Gino, that you mentioned as well is that Christians debate this issue. Right. And that, I think, is an important point to recognize that when we're talking about future events, when we're talking about biblical interpretation, obviously the goal is accuracy. It's truthfulness. It's to understand the word of God um, more fully, not to interpret it in a way that benefits ourselves or our own arguments. But a lot of people um, who are outside the church, the non-Christians, look at debates and say, oh, look, the Christians can't even agree with themselves. So why on earth would I ever trust what the Bible says? Well, and I think one of the ways that I would say it is, well, let's look at not simply what they're debating, but what they actually agree upon. All people who embrace historical biblical Christianity believe that when Jesus said, I'm coming back, that becomes one of those choking moments where you go, what do you mean Jesus is coming back? And so when we talk about our unbelieving friends or our unbelieving family members, um, Peter talks about, he says, um, he, he talks about another debate, and that is that um, he says, knowing that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. This is Second uh, Peter chapter 3, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fall asleep, all things continue as they were since the beginning. So Peter argues, and he says, hey, there's an end times, there's last days, and in these last days, there's going to be a growing group of people who dismiss the view that there is such a thing as last days and that Jesus is going to return. And, and so Peter basically points to a historical event, a global judgment that took place. And then he reminds the reader, he said, you know what? History has meaning. The presence on the planet is meaningful. The unfolding events that are taking place are meaningful, and they're going in a particular direction. And it's going to ultimately result in a consummation where Jesus comes back, he fulfills his promise, and then he's going to do something. He's going to judge the world. Now, you can imagine we're living in a world that doesn't believe that even for a minute. 
And so when we talk about reasons to believe that we're in the last days, like these signs, and people talk about earthquakes, we, we, we talk about what's, what's happened in, in, um, in, in, in the in Southeast Asia, you know, the, the tsunamis, we, we could go on and on. And of course, these become signs, pictures, that the unfolding events are taking place. Now, what's interesting to me about the whole um, signs in nature is I've never thought about it until just recently that we live in a world that believes that global warming caused by human beings is the gravest threat to humanity. And so what's interesting to me is that they're positioning the narrative so that when these unfolding events are taking place, this isn't a prelude to perhaps God judging the world, but rather this is a, an, uh, you know, an atmospheric geological sign that can only be dealt with by human beings. And since we've created the problem, we're the only ones who can come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting there there is a relationship between global events, the historical unfolding events that you see happening right before your eyes, and then how the narrative shifts in order to accommodate the unbelieving world. That is a fascinating insight that secularists and people who want to excise God from society and from uh, reality are saying that man is ultimately responsible for everything and also we are the savior. And that's exactly what global warming is doing. And and to connect those dots and to say, um, as this is a prelude leading up to, to the last days, and as you mentioned, we are in the last days. How many more of the last days we have is the question, but we are in the right. last days. And so they are going to try to create the narrative of man being the savior and that we excise God completely. So as we're moving forward um, and as we're seeing more of these signs, like you mentioned, um, what, where the Bible says, you know, earthquakes and pestilences and all of these different signs. And then also in Revelation, when it talks about um, this, uh, the mark of the beast and that you have to right. take that mark in order to buy or sell. A lot of people have the question, okay, now that we're looking at COVID uh, vaccine passports, we're looking at maybe, um, you know, chips that are embedded in the skin that some of the Scandinavian countries are already experimenting with. How should the Christians best understand and interpret these cultural events in light of scripture? Yeah, the way that I would think about it is that I would I would ask and answer the question, what does the Bible really say about this issue? And obviously the book of Revelation was written in the first century. And when John is writing about the mark of the beast, he's talking about a global economy where there is a world figure who is once again uniting the world in, in, in rebellion and opposition, but also in fulfill, fulfillment of prophecy. And so whatever this mark is, it is a mark that substantially changes a person's relationship with God. So it seems to be some sort of physical thing that has a spiritual consequence. The way that I think about it is that this mark is not possible until, number one, this man of sin, this global leader, appears on the scene and and that there is this um, invitation, if you will, to take this mark as a pledge of loyalty and allegiance to this global leader. 
Now, again, what's important to remember is what you're most familiar with, and that is what's happening in, our, in, in America from a political standpoint and from a global standpoint. Remember, in the Bible, the, the Tower of Babel takes place because God says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to go out all around the world. I want you to create nations, if you will. And, and these serve as hindrances, if you will, to this globalist agenda. But as you can see happening, there's an unfolding globalist agenda that requires unity and economy. Um, there, there has to be some sort of global strategy. So as you can imagine, there is this push and pull between sovereignty of nations and this desire for a globalist agenda, because remember, it's the worldview. The worldview is we have some real human problems. What our, what our unbelieving friends b- believe with us, if we, if we share any kind of common I, thread, that is something has gone horribly and terribly wrong. There are things wrong in the world, and these are the solutions to what is wrong. Obviously, we as Christians believe that the Bible is offering the correct solutions, but they believe that the Bible can't possibly be true, and so the solutions have to come from a globalist agenda where we unite together in order to fight common enemies. And that understanding of the the actual context of what the Bible says is important because there are a lot of commenters that are asking questions, and I think very sincere Christians, that almost have this idea that we could accidentally somehow take the mark of the beast and say, well, I don't. And that's not And, and that's a yeah. really hopeful and encouraging message, I think. And, and, um, and obviously, I think that interpretation is spot on in light of scripture, because when we're looking at things like um, some people have even, uh, you know, gone so far as to say, well, the vaccine somehow is the mark of the beast or, you know, or this is um, this is somehow completely antithetical to uh, you're disclaiming your Christianity if you do. I mean, I think think there are good reasons both for and against taking the vaccine. It should, my personal opinion is, is it has to be an individual choice looking at all the risk factors, your own uh, comorbidities, your own health decisions. You know, we're seeing athletes sure. that are being sidelined because of taking the vaccine and having heart issues. We're seeing, you know, other people who suggest that because of the vaccine, they had um, more minimal symptoms. So it has to be an individual decision. The mandates are not only unconstitutional, but worldwide, I think they're evil in terms of government government control, but they're not equivalent. They're not equivalent to the mark of the beast. Right. If we're going to get the biblical solutions to this issue of disputable things, that's found in Romans chapter 14 and 15, where Paul lays out this great argument about things that we can and can't do. And then how do we assess that? How do we go through this laundry list and we ask and we answer the question, is it true that Christians disagree about things? The answer is yes. Are there things that are disputable? The answer is yes. How do we go through the the process of trying to figure out what is what and which is which? Now we go again back to to what you said about vaccines or the mark of the beast. It is impossible, I'm going to suggest to you, it is impossible, number one, for the mark of the beast to happen until, number one, the man of sin appears. Number two, that it is a physical submission that results in a spiritual change that cannot that you can't go back from that you cannot return once you've received this mark you can never go back it results in both a physical and a spiritual change 
that is irrevocable. And so this is one of the reasons why when we read about chips being placed in Finland or or we read about chip technology or RFID technology or all of these other kinds of things, none of these things fit the category of what the Bible's talking about, um, where a person has to surrender and submit, and it results in an internal spiritual change. Now, again, we go all the way back to what we've been talking about. Uh, are we living in the end times? Well, again, according to the Bible, of course we are, because humanity is pushing forward into an inevitable future that includes where God, where people in rebellion, that rebellion is going to experience its full fruition, and then God is going to judge the world, and Jesus is going to return in glory. Now, obviously, we know that there are many people who don't embrace that view. But the reason why I so believe it is because if Jesus is who he says he is, if he really lived and died and rose from the dead, then he seems to have all of the credentials that we should actually take seriously everything he says about himself, including his return. Yes, and we are living in those end days. And and as we're looking at what is debatable in Scripture versus what uh, we all should agree on because of the plain language, because of the reality to which we're presented, because of who Jesus says that he is and the evidence for the historical, literal event of his birth, life, uh, death, and resurrection— all of those things, we are Christians because we believe on the foundational uh, elements that are required to be a Christian and to accept the gift of salvation. And when we're looking at what's debatable, it it struck me as you were saying that that um, we're debating so many things in our culture that aren't debatable, like the difference between what is a man and what is a woman. Um, you know, there are so many right. things, even just in the narrative of speech, it seems like we are pushing as a culture toward this um, absolutely crazy view that everything is debatable. And Christians and a lot of churches are accepting that false premise that everything is and should be debatable rather than saying we have to uh, first, as a threshold issue, say what isn't debatable, what is truth, what is self-evident. Right. And, you know, in philosophy, we call that the correspondence theory of truth. In other words, that there is a reality, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, a believer or an unbeliever, that there are certain things that literally correspond to reality. And you've written about this in your book on, on the Constitution and natural law, where for, for the most part, the large majority of both cultures historically and currently have said, no, there are certain things that, that are necessary things in order to function as a family, as a civilization, that correspond to reality. Many people have noted that there has never, ever been a, a, a civilization that has subscribed to the same to the view of same-sex marriage ever until in your lifetime, Jenna. And you're born into a world where there has been a civilizational shift about, about belief. Now, again, we go all the way back to that big primary issue, and that's asking and answering the question, well, what does the Scripture say 
about any given subject as we try to find our way to an answer. And, and again, um, that's one of the reasons why we as Christians believe in the Lord's return. I, ha- I have a scripture that I want to read. It's 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But you, brethren, aren't in the darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of night or darkness. So that let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. And so the passage asserts that Jesus is coming like a thief. But then it proceeds that that that, that isn't to us as Christians, but rather to a world of unbelief who are going to be shocked and surprised when they wake up one day and they go, you mean what the Bible said about this is true? And 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 so there seems to be a shaking and a sif- sifting that's even taking place in the, around the world where people go, no, we didn't take into, consideriza- into consideration all of the civil- civilizational consequences when we deny what the Bible says about what it means to be a man and a woman, when we deny what the Bible says about marriage, when we deny what the Bible says about what it means to be human and made in the image of God. And so thank God, in in one sense, there's a little bit of pushback taking place where the genealysis of the world and other people, the, and, and uh, you know, your, one of your clients, John MacArthur, who is beginning to say, no, we as Christians, it's okay for us to affirm what the Bible says as we're dealing with these most difficult issues. Mm -hmm. I also want to talk about another great American, my good friend, Mike Lindell. He has been canceled out of so many box stores for simply standing up for his own political opinion and disagree or not, uh, or support him or not. It is a fundamental right of every American to be able to voice their opinion, and that absolutely includes politics. That absolutely includes uh, issues that are central to our culture. That includes faith. Uh, Mike is such a very sincere Christian, and I am proud to consider him a friend, and he is, of course, a friend of this show. So right now, there is a special on MyPillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials. Get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including a great towel set, which is a six-piece set, it includes two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths, made in the USA, regularly $109.99, now just $39.99, but you have to use the promo code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A. That tells Mike that you listen to this show, you're happy that he is uh, a sponsor of this show, and you will get great, great discounts, but use the promo code Jenna, that's J-E-N-N-A, either at MyPillow.com or call one 800 564 8475 and use the promo code Jenna. And so, and what you just said there as well, that Christians need to be alert and we need to be and knowledgeable so- in what the Bible says about the coming and the return of Christ. What are those key elements of the signs that we need to be uh, waiting for, anticipating so that we aren't surprised when the Lord returns. We're not surprised at what's going on in the culture. We are standing up for truth, of course, and we'll, we will continue to fulfill the Great Commission until Jesus returns, but we shouldn't be surprised. So in in practical terms, what are people waiting for and looking for, and how can we be more aware? Well, and I think that that the bottom line is, as you look at the signs in nature— 
and you look at the uh, the signs in society. In 2 Timothy 3, 14, it's really interesting. Timothy, Paul writes, realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Hey, what an understatement. Just look around. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In that passage, when he's looking at the signs, there's three big signs about the love situation. The first is love of self, humanism. The belief that man can accomplish anything on his own. The second is materialism. When humanism is your religion, your God always is money. And then the lover of pleasure is the third one mentioned. It's hedonism. And so when you embrace materialism, humanism, hedonism, it always produces despair because you are disconnected from God. But so, so p- part of the point that we say is, no, it isn't just about the, the, the earthquakes, although those are important, or the science, you know, there are other signs. There are spiritual signs and the signs within society. And, and as we're looking at all of that, the bottom line, I guess what I would say, the bottom line is that, um, that we're on borrowed time. In other words, time isn't, it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And so we ask and we answer the question about the world in which we live in, the gospel that's presented that, that invites people to turn from their sin and to turn to the Savior, where the gospel becomes the remedy. You know, Christians are accused of being, of lacking compassion, that we don't understand what it's like when people are in trouble or they're oppressed. We as Christians affirm, no, we as Christians aren't the source of oppression. We as Christians want to be the source of affirmation that says, no, there's a remedy for sin. It's grace and mercy and love. And the real remedy is found in the word of God. So in one, I guess here's where where I would say it. According to the Bible, God has determined that he's going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with sin in, in the individual life. He's going to deal in, in, with sin in the, in, in the circumstances of a nation and a civilization and the world. And the way that he's going to deal with it is either in grace or wrath. You know, John MacArthur's talked about this a lot. He's going to deal with it in grace or wrath. That's the gospel. The gospel is, no, in Jesus, he's dealt with it in grace so that we can be saved and so that we can look forward to his promises, including the promise of his return. But for the large majority of people who say, I don't believe that. There's no such thing as sin and there's no such thing as a savior. And there's no such thing even as end times. If there is such a thing as end times, it's all because of the problems that we've brought on ourselves, And so we're the ones who are going to provide the solution. But according to the Bible, that is futility. And so, again, I'm not suggesting that that we don't make good faith efforts to alleviate suffering and difficulty. What I'm talking about is the foolish idea that we can abandon truth and the revelation of truth and there be no consequences whatsoever. 
And so that's the choice that I think that Christians have. It's to say, no, I want, I want to affirm what the Bible says about the past and the present and the future. And isn't that so much more comforting to know and have the hope that Jesus will return and that this is for the Christian, whatever we suffer and endure in this life is as bad as it's ever going to get. And I can't imagine looking at the secular uh, progressive left and their despair, as you aptly put it, in everything that's going on, having no hope except in climate change or what man can do about anything. And that would be despairing because we know that we are limited in our power to ordain uh, the world that we want to live in. We just don't have the authority that God does. And so I can't imagine, you know, having that outlook on life of saying, you know, this is as as good as it's ever going to get. For the Christian, this is always as bad as it's going to get. And, and it's actually pretty good. And so we can have the hope and the encouragement and never live life in despair. That's why we can have joy and peace and comfort to know that our Savior is returning. And so in the last um, just few minutes that I have with you here, um, what is your message then to the person who maybe is listening to this and, you know, tuned in for politics and, hey, you're getting eschatology, and they're saying, I want to have yeah. this hope and this joy and this promise. Um, what can they do to, in, in order to receive salvation and also um, to start walking in light of truth? Well, again, the, the gospel message is your sins have been forgiven and forgotten. If you trust Jesus as your Savior. You know, Jenna, when you were talking and you said, for Christians, this is as close to hell as it's going to get. Part of the other part of that statement is for the unbeliever, this is as close to heaven as they're going to get unless they receive Christ as their Savior. And, you know, when we talk about lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, which leads to despair. And, and, and instead of, again, being not compassionate towards our friends and family who are living in despair. It's, it's, it's reminding them when they characterize despair as hope. No, despair is hope. You know, it's this language twisting that we live in and, and we go, no, you're getting confused. Despair is not hope and hope is not despair. Hope is a choice that you get to make when you trust God instead of all of self and money and pleasure. And and again, for the people who are really understanding, because they've met people who have trusted themselves, who, who have a great deal of money, um, and who have experienced a great deal of pleasure, and it's left them empty and disconnected. So my message is, hey, do you believe that you have a problem? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe, do you want to experience forgiveness? Do you believe that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead? Do you believe that he did this for you? What would prevent you from trusting him even now? And so that's the message. And, and again, I've placed my faith in Jesus. And so I do believe and literally look forward to his return. 
And so, again, the last words written in the last book of the Bible says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) Amen. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Gino, for joining me. And I look forward to seeing you at church soon. And uh, thank you so much for your stance for truth and for the Bible and for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need more people to stand up in churches, in culture, in society for truth. And uh, you are one of those champions. So thank you for everything that you're doing. Thanks, Jenna. All right. Well, 2022 is going to be a critical year for America. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, along with their nearly 2 million members. The fight to stop out-of-control spending in the president's Build Back Better scheme is far from over, and Congress is plotting more legislation that could hurt our seniors. The midterm elections will be a battle for freedom versus socialism. Unlike liberal groups, AMAC is America's conservative, action-oriented 50-plus organization fighting hard every day here in Washington and across the nation for our seniors. So I'm urging you to choose AMAC now. You will receive all of the great membership benefits, including AMAC discounts on hotels, travels, and restaurants, and your membership will support your conservative values. So go to amac.us forward slash ellis. That's amac.us forward slash E-L-L-I-S to become an AMAC member now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.